The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, and this is, of course, the DSR Mothership, uh, the the, the one and only original DSR podcast, and we are joined by two of our originals in every sense of the word, uh, one being Dr. Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute. How are you doing, Corey? I am so very well, David. Thank you for asking. I'm glad that's true. And David Sanger of the New York Times. How are you doing, David? Well, probably not as well as Corey, who looks relaxed, you know. Whatever, but you know, juggling a couple deadlines, I'll be all right. I'm alive. Well, Corey looks relaxed, but that's, that's you know, right. that's that's a product of years of training. She has very that's weighty right. issues on her mind. You know, that's you guys laugh, but I've been writing the George Washington chapter of my history of civil military relations. So I am very relaxed. Are you does that mean you're two hundred and fifty years from completion? <laughs> I'm eight chapters from completion, but yeah, I cover a lot of ground. And and by comparison, I've been writing the will the Russians use nuclear weapons portion of my next book, which leaves you unrelaxed. And, you know, it was never an issue that Washington took up 250 years ago, unless Corey's telling me differently. (laughs) Well, I'm writing. That would would be news breaking, Corey. Well, that's true. I'm (laughs) writing the second version of my book proposal, having had it accepted and then said, nah, I don't think I want to do it that way. And so, ah. so you are a better scholar than me, David. I struggle. I cannot write book proposals because I never really have a great sense of the trajectory of the story I'm telling until I'm about halfway through. Well, that's so, what happened to me. No, I, I, that's exactly what happened to me. I thought I'm going to tell this story and then the more I dug into it, I said, oops, it's actually that story. <laughs> and and so so anyway, that's my, my my experience, David, is you write a book proposal, 
And then by the time you've like worked out the book, you send another note saying you realize that previous proposal has been completely overtaken by events. Well, that, that prob- <laughs> I probably I probably should have done it that way. Um, anyway, well let's 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 uh, talk about Corey's book proposal a little. No, no, let's talk about something related to Corey's book a little bit that's just been in the news. Corey, you are our and 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 perhaps the leading voice on civilian military relations, and I just was wondering. How you have reacted to all the Millie mania of the past couple of weeks? Yeah, um, I am. I think more critical of General Milley's conduct in his time as chairman than most other people, whether they are civil military experts or uh, just people engaged in the national security enterprise. And I'll stipulate at the start that. Uh, if I were General Milley, I would demand to be graded like Olympic diving. I have a degree of difficulty factored into your score because uh, with a president as erratic, undisciplined, and dangerous as Donald Trump, uh, his job was extraordinarily difficult. And yet I conclude that he, the way he has done the job has actually exacerbated the friction and done damage to America's relationship with its military. And I think you can see the proof of that in polls of public attitudes about the military, because while it is still the most respected institution in American public life, um, um, Support for the American military has dropped by nearly 20 points in the last several years. And I think a a lot of the reason for it is General Milley and combat fatigues in Lafayette Square with the president and the square having been cleared of Americans protesting for social justice and against police brutality. I think General Milley... uh, unable to resist the temptation to show off his Princeton education on subjects as far ranging and not the business of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff as critical race theory, reading lists, um, and uh, whether Ukraine should be suing for peace. Um, You know, I, I think he's missed so many opportunities to uh, take the great defense, criminal defense attorney Clarence Darrow's advice that no man was ever convicted based on testimony he did not give. And the reason I think it's so consequential is twofold. First, because if a president, even a president as crazy as Donald Trump, cannot have confidence that they can seek military advice in privacy, and that that privacy will be respected as they weigh their options, it's going to mean that future presidents aren't going to let their military advisors be in the room when they make important decisions. And I think that will lead to worse decisions about American national security. And second of all, because General Milley waded into questions like critical race theory, that makes it legitimate, in particular for Congress, to torture everybody else going up for confirmation on those issues. And it 
creates a public perception of the military as much more political than our military actually is. And it's bad for the fundamental relationship between the American public and its military. Well, as Corey um, Shockey might have once said, uh, I didn't need the image of Millie as an Olympic diver. So, um, <laughs> wow, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. so I, yeah. I could have gone a very long time without that visual. Yeah, well, I got that one from you. But um, having said that, David, you know, there are sort of three schools of thought here. There's the school that was kind of manifested in Jeff Goldberg's Atlantic piece, which calls him a patriot and a hero for speaking out and standing up and calling the Chinese and et cetera, et cetera. Gives him a pass, more or less, on the Lafayette part. And then there's the two schools of thought that existed prior to that. One is Millie talks too much, and Corey Corey, uh, uh, spoke of that. And then there's the other one, which is Millie didn't talk enough when it mattered. He should have said something earlier if he actually thought the president was a danger to the United States. Where do you come out? Well, first of all, um, Millie's gotten great press uh, in part because he talks so much, right? Reporters love hearing Millie the way they loved listening to Bob Gates, right? The way uh, they love hearing Donald Trump. And the way exactly. they like hearing Donald Trump and others, right? right. So, um, so there's certainly truth in that. Um, the Lafayette Park thing will be the defining image of Millie. But what makes that story so interesting is that he then shows up at a graduation speech he's giving days later and says, I never should have been there, right? And that was the break with Donald Trump because, A, it seemed disloyal, and B, Trump viewed any change of decision or apology as weakness. Whereas I think the message that Milley sent by doing that was actually a reinforcing one to uh, the rest of his troops by saying, I had made a mistake by being there and admitting to it right away and sort of laying that line out and moving on. And I think that's what led to the Patriot theme of, of uh, Jeff's profile uh, of him. And uh, that's a really interesting question about whether or not the incident or the apology was the more important of those two. And that could very well affect how one views Corey's critique. Um, I think the second issue is that in talking about his conversations with the Chinese, he was making the point that part of the job of a chairman of the Joint Chiefs is to prevent war and to provide some level of deterrence. And those conversations with the Chinese went on before by predecessors, Millie's predecessors, and will go on by with uh, those who follow Millie. I can see by looking at, at, at Corey, she, she doesn't agree with this one. And that... Um, Corey, you know, you should I never play we, poker. I just want to be very clear. That's it. Yeah, right. And, and I think it's important. I think it's important for Americans and for our adversaries to understand that that's a critical part of the role that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs plays. 
especially at a time when we have such poor communications today in the Biden administration between the Chinese military and the U.S. military, largely because the Chinese military won't won't pick up the phone. Um, and so I found it in some ways reassuring. Now, you could step out and say it would have been fine if it had stayed in private, but the story leaked. And uh, as a result, you know, that further enraged Trump and Trump is now, you know, sent out on Truth Social in the past couple of days that uh, Milley should be tried for treason. And I think he suggested in the course of that um, executed, which seems like a somewhat severe um, uh, penalty for conducting somewhat, a kind of call that we Somewhat expect. severe. That's the <laughs> times balance yes. that everybody hates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. right. Uh, for for a call that is the kind that the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is supposed to be making or uh, routinely makes. So I actually think, Corey, that while I understand that the respect for the military has declined significantly, and I think a piece of that may belong to Milley, certainly not all of it, uh, but a piece of it uh, may, that he actually has done more to explain what goes into this job than many of his immediate predecessors. I'm Jeffrey Lewis. I've made a career out of doing what I can to stop the world from getting blown up by nuclear bombs. Now that the Iran nuclear deal is dead as a doorknob, I needed to make a new podcast. It's called The Reason We're All Still Here. It's about saving the world. One arduous, unlikely, underfunded, seemingly impossible mission at a time. Skinny dipping physicists, activists who live on houseboats, and at least one person who looks at satellite images in his pajamas. The reason we're all still here, I sincerely hope you'll give it a listen. So the China phone call is a perfect example of the fact that you can have the benefits that David has described without the detrimental effects that General Milley incurred by the way he did his job. It would have been enough to say, as David rightly points out, these calls are routine. The Secretary of Defense requests that the chairman does that. There were lots of other people on the call um, and the message was approved by the Secretary of Defense. Instead, Mark Milley cast himself as Washington crossing the Delaware and, you know, the generals are so important to landing the plane of American democracy safely. And first of all, making all of those things about him is unbecoming. But second of all, it suggests that, uh, you know, the military was essential to the functioning of democracy in this transition, and it was not. Moreover, it's a bad look for the American military to cast themselves as the saviors of democracy. We wouldn't like that look if we saw it in any other country. And so I don't think we should excuse General Milley's self-aggrandizing explanations of his own routine comportment. Well, let me ask you a follow-up question there, because you're responding to David. And David, then the same question to you. Um, there is a possibility Donald Trump will be reelected. Um, uh, if he is reelected, a lot of his former advisors, including Milley, have speculated that he might be a greater danger to democracy. 
the military is not going to evaporate overnight. Trump is going to come in there, and there are going to be generals who are either, or admirals, who are either in top positions or get appointed to top positions. How should they handle it differently than Millie did? Yeah, um, I think three ways. First, um, talk more in private and less in public. Um, So talk more to policymakers and less to journalists. Um, Second uh, is be very clear about your statutory authorities and their limits. And third, appreciate that civilian control of the military is not simply the President of the United States and the executive branch. It is also the Congress of the United States. Um, And they too are accountable for actions the military takes and doesn't take and um, are a way of balancing or at least drawing attention to any concerns that the military has about the behavior or decisions of the commander in chief. But David, what would you advise? So let's just follow David's line of logic. Fair to say that um, if President Trump is reelected, the kind of defense secretary he would install, and he might well try to replace the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, would be total loyalists who would never challenge him. And I think what Milley was doing, Corey, in his own statements there, was trying to reassure the world that there was some checks and balances built in with his comments about, of course, we will follow any legal order from the president of the United States. You know, pretty standard wording, but with the emphasis on the word legal raises the possibility that he and the secretary of defense might interfere with an illegal order. And that was, of course, the great fear at that time, right? So um, I actually think that Millie, while imperfect in the way that he did this, conducted a kind of masterclass for the United States about what it is that the role, these roles are and that you don't just stand up and salute and execute any order without stopping to think about whether it was legal or not, and that he needed to say that publicly, because otherwise the public would not have had an assurance that there was someone there who wasn't just going to go follow any order that was issued, even if it triggered a war that was meant to distract or whatever. Now, fortunately, we never got to that point. It was, as we all know, a crazy period of time in American history, but it didn't get that crazy and that dangerous. And you could argue later on maybe that what there wasn't as big a danger as we thought. But I thought it was really important that Americans understood what the rules were. And had Millie not stated those, I'm not sure they would have. I just think we should be a lot more uncomfortable about having our military teach civics to the broader American population. That's Congress's job. That's political leaders' job. It's journalists' job. I think we should be more nervous than it sounds like David is 
about making our military the protectors of democracy. Well, let me ask you, there's another case of this happening in the world right now. There was a former uh, uh, Israeli chief of staff in Washington last week going door to door with Democrats saying you can't deal with, uh, with Bibi. He's going to destroy Israeli democracy. There have been Israeli reservists who said, we're not going to show up for work if he continues on this path. Uh, in fact, some of his most vocal opposition has been from the Israeli military and intelligence community. Do you think they're playing an inappropriate role? Uh, so I'm not an expert on Israeli constitutional structure. Um, in an American context, serving men and women in the American military have two choices. You can either carry out lawful and ethical orders, or you can resign your commission. You don't get to decide beyond if an order is legal or moral. Those are the only distinctions you get to make. Um, denying your country your service, I think, has a different um, uh, it's a different statement in a conscripted military than it is in a volunteer force. And um, I, I have a certain amount of sympathy for conscripts who believe so adamantly in their governments um, committing an illegal act. But again, I'm not an expert on Israeli military structure and law. So I don't really have a view as to whether they should or shouldn't be doing that. I would be really worried um, in an American context to have retired leaders of the military going door to door in foreign countries, arguing against the support of their own elected government. Yeah, I would be in every circumstance except for the one we're likely to be in. But and I'm half kidding with that remark. David, how do you feel about this? Well, the Israeli context is a different one, as Corey points out. And we have had many examples of former Israeli intelligence officials and national security officials after they left office and some left office a little earlier than they had in mind, um, explaining how they threw their bodies in the way of what they thought were plans to attack Iran uh, for its nuclear program. Um, and in many cases, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, in a previous incarnation as prime minister, came right up to the edge of doing that two or three times. Um, and later on eased out intelligence officials who opposed him. That poses a, a different problem because our intelligence in our system, our intelligence officials are supposed to be deciders of, you know, dec declaring what is fact and or assessments of probabilities, but not prescribing policy. The Israeli system's a little bit different. Um, what I think is really interesting, though, about the Millie case is, and it goes back to the origins, ironic as they were, David, of the name you chose for this podcast, 
is that Milley and some of the defense secretaries who were around him until the very end of the administration were the core of what Trump decried as the deep state that was seeking to slow him down. And what's interesting is that Milley has made no particular effort to disabuse anybody of that thought. He was saying, we will execute any legal order. And by the, su the suggestion was he was being the last roadblock if there was an illegal order. And I hear you when you say, Corey, that you know it's up to Congress or up to journalists, or I might even say scholars at AEI, to um, teach us uh, about that. And it is, but that's not going to happen in this Congress. And journalists and scholars can write about it as much as they want, and you and I both do, and David does. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it's different when it comes out as message received from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I also think this was an extraordinary circumstance, and I suspect that you'll probably see a restoration back to the mean. Um, but I'm not sure in this case that Millie should be condemned for going out and, and using it as a teaching moment. Well, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, there are obviously other things that we should discuss here. Um, but I would say I'm very interested in Corey's book. And I don't even know what her outline is, but I hope the final chapter um, addresses the question of what happens when a president is the one who's ignoring the Constitution or threatening the Constitution um, or putting the country at risk by embracing foreign enemies or um, embracing um, tactics that are that are are bad. I mean, you know, the, one of the points in the um, Jeff Goldberg article was. You know, our system works provided the president is sane. Um, and, you know, that really requires us to grapple a bit with the question of what happens if he's not. Um, in any event, we will return to this, no doubt, uh, at a future moment. This is the point where we take a break. We say thanks to everybody who's in the general public but who's not yet a member. Uh, and say, if you want to listen to the whole podcast, become a member. All you have to do is go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership, and it's $5 a month, and it helps us do what we do. Um, and as those of you who are paying attention may note, we're doing more and more every single week. Uh, so that means more bonus content for you, but it also means that your support is even more useful, valuable to us, and more appreciated. So you're not a member, become one, and you can listen to the rest of the podcast. If you are a member, stand by. We'll be right back. <laughs> 